it's good to be with you all and to be able to share again. I'm always excited and uh, pleased to be able to share God's Word. It's a blessing for me to be able to study it out, so it, uh, I trust it's a blessing to you as well, right? I found a short story, and I'm going to read a little excerpt from it this morning. I could not find the author. I've heard it many times previously, so maybe it'll, perhaps it'll sound familiar to you and ring a bell of who this person is. It says author on unknown when I look online. There once was a king who offered a prize to the artist who would paint the best picture of peace. The contest stirred the imaginations of artists everywhere. Many artists wanted a chance at winning this prize, and paintings from far and wide came and began to arrive to the king. The king looking at all the pictures, uncovering one peaceful scene after another, as the onlookers clapped and cheered. The tensions grew as only two pictures remained veiled. As the king pulled the cover from one, a hush fell over the crowd. It was the picture of a calm lake. Close your eyes, think about this. A calm lake. The lake was a perfect mirror of the peaceful towering mountains all around it. Overhead was a beautiful blue sky with fluffy white clouds. Along the grassy shore, a flock of sheep grazed undisturbed. All who saw this picture thought that it was a perfect picture of peace. Surely, this must be the winner. If you know the story, you know where we're going. The king uncovered the last painting. And the crowd gasped in surprise. Could this be peace? The picture had mountains like the previous paintings, but they were rugged and bare. Above was an angry sky from which rain fell and in which lightning was tormenting the ground. Down the side of the mountain tumbled a foaming waterfall. The, cro- the crowd could almost feel its cold, penetrating sky. You know, you can look at a picture and just say, Ooh, that's cold. But when the king looked closely, he saw a little bird. It had built a nest on a branch of a tree. And the tree that reached out in the direction of the tumultuous waterfall. Yet there, in the midst of the rush of angry water, undisturbed in her stormy surroundings, sat the mother bird on her nest in perfect peace. As you can guess, that was the picture that won the prize. When I looked in scripture, I did a little looking around, and there was a survey, and I can't attribute it, so please... Uh, if you want to look it up and call me out later, that's fine. But the overwhelming majority of people were asked, I can't remember how many, but were asked, what do you want most out of life? And, you know, some people gave the normal answers, money, happiness, family, kids, health. But the overwhelming majority answered peace of mind. Peace of mind. Peace I looked up this morning, is well over 400 times in Scripture, just the word peace. The phrase, peace be unto you. Now, this depends on the translation, so don't go home and say, well, you said 400, and it's 404. Overwhelming, more than 400, okay? Depending on which translation you look at, more like six or seven if you look at um, 
the authorized version. But <laughs> the phrase, peace be unto you, is in 140 verses. Peace I give to you in about 76, and peace be to you. And again, well, two, three, four hundred, depending on it. So peace is a dominant theme throughout Scripture. It's not the only dominant theme, of course, but it's mentioned over and over and over again. So today, we're going to look at peace. We're going to talk about peace a little bit, and not just peace as a word study, but the gospel of peace. Gospel meaning good news. Peace is good news. Peace of God is good news. Just like that little bird sitting off in the middle of a hurricane. I tell you, I felt like that little bird when Irma was coming through, sitting there in my house in the middle of a hurricane. My wife slept through the whole thing. Even our dog didn't even wake up. There was just peace. It's possible for us to have perfect peace even in the midst of the most tumultuous storm. And what a blessing that is. What a gift that is. I tell you what, that's good news. Gospel of peace. So quickly, we'll define peace. The best definition I could come up with is a state of quiet or tranquility, freedom from internal commotion. Freedom, the state of quiet or tranquility or freedom from internal commotion. Now, this is God's view, of course. The world's view thinks that money can provide those things or a good job can provide freedom from internal tranquility or internal uh, quiet. Doing good or charitable works. If you read some of the richest men and, and women in the entire world, billions upon billions of dollars, and they're giving it all away to charity, which is great, but it's not going to buy them peace. And it's not going to buy their salvation. Okay? Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't give. Of course they should give. And I believe the Lord blesses them even because of that, but it's not going to buy their salvation. Peace. Peace, inner calm, tranquility, freedom from internal commotion. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace can only come, true peace can only come through Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. Ephesians 2.14, He is our peace. He has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. How did He do that? Through peace. Segways very good into the next point. There's basically two different ways of looking at peace. If you look through Scripture, there's peace with God, and there's peace of God, okay? So we're going to first look at peace of God. It segues really nicely with Ephesians 2.14. He broke down that middle wall of partition between us so that we can have access to the Father, right? We are justified. The most, probably most famous verse around peace with God is Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith... 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified. What does that word mean? Justified. Pastor Tucker. I always quote Pastor Tucker because I never forget some of these things. Think about it this way. Justified. And this is really corny, so blame him if you don't laugh. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. When we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ, it's just as if we had never sinned at all. And we are now, that wall is broken down, that partition is broken down between us and the Father, and we have peace with God. Now, it's probably a good idea to have peace with God. It, well, it's a very good idea to have peace with God. Because what's the opposite of having peace with God? Being at war with God. That doesn't sound good for us, does it? <laughs> Do you want to be at war with God? Do you want to be at enmity with him? Oh, no, I do not. So peace with God. Now, we could go through the Romans road, and I've heard, I'm sure you've all gone through Romans 3.23, all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. The price of sin is death. It separates us from God. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us and makes access, makes way for us to come back in. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. And the, the thing to remember for me is I want to be in peace with God every day. I was saved when I was seven. Have I been in peace with God every day of my life since then? I wish I could say that it was true, but it's not. You know, you can fall out of peace with God. How is that possible? Well, James 4.17 says, therefore, to him that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. What is sin? What's the penalty for sin? Death. What is death? Separation from God. That's the worst part about death and damnation and hell. It's being, it's the absolute, I heard Pastor Bailey describe it one time, it gave me chills. He said, it's the absolute absence of anything to do with God or good or love or anything. And that's the worst part about it. That's the wages of sin. So if we know to do something and we don't do it, that's sin. If we know not to do something and we do it, that's sin. We have to get back at peace with God. And how do we do that? Well, of course, we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Keeping a short account daily. Lord, I really messed up here. Or I said the wrong word or I gave my wife a bad attitude or whatever. Keep a short account and keep peace with God. Next, peace of God. Now, in order to have the peace of God, you must be in peace with God. Okay, so these are kind of predecessors or successors, okay? They're joined together. In order to have the peace of God, you must be at peace with God. Isaiah 26.3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. How is the key to perfect peace? Our mind stayed on him and trusting in him. 
As our trust and confidence in God deepens, so also will our peace of God deepen. We must learn to focus wholeheartedly on him and not on our problems. Man, I tell you what, when I think about the problem, I stress out so quick because I'm like, oh, what about that? What about that? What about that? What about that? And then I've got, because I'm an analytical person, I make decisions at my job all day, every day. And I'm thinking about all of the things that need to happen in order to solve whatever problem I'm thinking about. And it can become overwhelming. And I start to get a little internal commotion. <laughs> a little lack of tranquility. <laughs> right? A little uproar. Maybe it's a little heartburn or, as Ebenezer Scrooge would say, a bit of undigested beef. But it's there, right? And then you step back and you say, Lord, I'm giving this to you. You're in control. Yes, you'll guide me. Yes, you'll help me. And I've got some practical steps for us here in just a minute. But Lord, I trust you. And it's such a freeing thing to just say, here you go. Take it. Here you go. No problem. All right. Isaiah 26, 12. Lord, you will ordain peace for us that thou hast wrought all our works in us. When we allow God to work in us, he ordains, sets apart, sets aside peace for us. But we must yield wholly to him and allow him to work in our lives. Making decisions. Every decision we try to make, every decision with the conscious thought of the peace of God. When, <clears throat> as most of you know, Christmas Eve, we woke up, or I woke up, Ashley was sleeping, but I woke up and our thermostat was off completely. It was 40 degrees, 35 degrees outside. Thermostat was off, heat was off. It was very cold, but I had no idea how cold it was because the thermostat wasn't on. So I know it was very cold in the house. And it's Christmas Eve. We're hosting Christmas dinner for the church on Sunday after service. I had already had a huge list of things that I needed to do in order to make all of those things happen. And then this happens. No heat. Well, that's a problem. And you lose your inner tranquility pretty quickly. You have a whole lot of commotion strife, going, Lord, why is this happening right now? I've got 15 people or 10 people or whatever it was. Why is this happening now? And then, so we worked through the small, solve one problem at a time, not try to fix the whole thing. And the guy, the, the, the HVAC guy who doesn't come from the company that we normally work with, he was a different company who just so happened to pick up their phone. They were on call, and he picked it up. My other company didn't. And he comes out, and he goes, well, yeah, you got a big problem. He goes, you're going to need a whole new unit. I'm like, a whole new unit? Excuse me? <laughs> I'm like, what's the price? He's like, oh, probably about fifteen grand, $15,000. i am like, $15,000? He's like, yeah, I know it's not a very good Christmas present, but... Uh, I could probably book that for you now and we can have somebody out here next week. I'm like, first of all, I'm going to freeze overnight and you're telling me I got to pay 15 grand. He was really bad, but he was really pressuring us too. And he was coming in the house and he was, well, I invited him in, but he was pressuring us. Oh, you have to do this. You have to do that. It's, it's a standard and blah, blah, blah. And I just 
first of all, I, I don't know if anybody has peace about dropping 15 grand. <laughs> but I didn't have... I didn't have peace about that, first of all, but I didn't have peace about the decision either. And he went back outside to look at something else. And I went to Ashley. I'm like, let's just pray because I don't have peace at all. And she's like, neither do I. So I'm not going to commit to this. I'm going to wait. We, Al and Barb were gracious to loan us some space heaters. And then our, our company came out maybe an hour later. He's like, no, you don't have to do that. He goes, this is your problem right here. And he had it fixed within 20 minutes. It cost me $300 versus $10,000, $15,000. And we were good. But no peace. I could have panicked and said, let's just do it. We got 20 people coming. Let's get, get things going or 15 or whatever it was. But there was no peace. And I, I said, I, and I'm, Ashley and I, we committed to this a long time ago. And we stuck by it. I'm not going to let anyone pressure me into making a decision If I don't have the peace of God. And if I don't or she doesn't, then we both, one of us is our responsibility. And she's done it a few times. She's like, I don't have peace about this at all. And I'm like, okay, if you don't, then I better pray. Because if you don't, and I think something different, then I better pray. Because usually she's more sensitive to that stuff than I am. And I'm like, so we have an agreement. We're not doing this without the peace of God. So, but... That takes practice, just like anything. It's a muscle. You've got to develop it. And it usually comes in times when somebody's telling you, you've got to pay 15 grand right now to get your HVAC fixed. As with most things, they're developed through their opposite. Peace is developed through chaos. Peace is developed through disorder, through confusion. Nobody likes that. But the enemy throws it at you, like that hurricane, like that picture with the waterfall and the storm and the lightning. And if we can be on that nest, just sitting there singing away, happy as a lark, or whatever kind of bird it was, I would say it's a lark, because happy as a lark works for me. That must aggravate the enemy so much. If he's literally throwing the ki- everything but the kitchen sink at us, and we're just sitting there singing along, peace, peace, wonderful peace. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Okay? Now, let's apply this. We know what it is. We know what it is. I thought of two different things, and they're both a little unusual, or not unusual, but I hadn't heard them talked about in this way before. First is peace as an indicator. As an indicator. Peace as an indicator. Now, what is an indicator? It's a measurement or a value that gives you an idea of what something is like. Okay? A measurement or a value. It could be anything. If you ever had chemistry in high school or college, have you ever heard of a litmus paper, a litmus test? It's a little strip of paper that's got certain chemicals on it that's water-soluble. You drop a chemical on it, and it has a reaction, and it tells you if that liquid is acidic or neutral or has high base. It's an indicator, and there's, color, there's a color scheme that goes along with it. Okay. I looked up airplanes because I know we have a pilot. They have basically six, the six most basic. Now, if you're flying commercially in, in a huge plane, there's probably a whole dashboard full of them. But the six most basic ones. Airspeed. How fast am I going? Attitude. Where's the horizon? I need to know if I'm upside down or sideways or not. Altimeter. How high am I? 
turn coordinator. Where am I going? What's my turn rate look like? Am I going to turn into a mountain or am I going to turn off course? Heading. Where am I headed? Vertical speed indicator. How fast am I going up or how fast am I going down? Those are the basics. There's many others, I'm sure, and we'll probably talk about it after service. But they need those instruments to tell them where they are because they can't just put their finger out the window and say, hmm, feels cold out there. We must be pretty high. <laughs> when you're going 35,000, when you're 35,000 feet in the air, you can't do that. Oh, man, it's pretty cold. We must be high. And they've got to trust these instruments because sometimes when you can't see, that's all you have to tell you where you are and what your situational awareness is. So you need these things. And I looked up... Um, and we were talking about this before service, Mike. There's two kind of main, like, I don't know what you would call them, demonstration pilots where there are aerial stunts, like maneuvers and things like that. There's one from the Air Force called the Thunderbirds. There's one from the Navy called the Blue Angels. I've seen them both. They're both awesome. Now, I was looking up, and there was an accident that happened in 1982, January 18th, 1982. They were doing... A maneuver, they were practicing a maneuver. This was practice. They had a four plane abreast loop. So they were wingtip to wingtip, and then they go up and they do a loop and go all the way back around. And they were supposed to level off about 100 feet off the ground. And they're puffing smoke, so it looks really cool from the ground. <clears throat> the thing that I, was interesting to me about this is there's, there's four pilots, and they're looking at not their instruments, they're looking at the lead pilot. Everything he does, they've got to match up. And I did it, I saw an interview with one of the Blue Angels where he says, I'm not even looking at the wing, I'm looking for a rivet and focusing on that rivet. So where that goes, I go. That's how precise they have to be. What happened is there was a malfunction in one of the tools on board, a stabilizer of some sort, and the first pilot thought he was... 100 feet off the ground, and he was actually zero feet off the ground. And they all went, oops, because they followed each other, and they didn't break formation. So those instruments, if you don't see them, and it, or if there's an issue with them, you could really cause a problem. Now, there was all kinds of other things associated with that, but the thing I wanted, I, that came out to me was how they keep us from danger. And if there's a malfunction, we've got a problem, if we're not in tune in some way, then we can really end up in, in danger. Also, I've got another one. This is a simple indicator. It's what I use when I umpire. Balls and strikes. Strikes, balls, outs, and inning. And when I'm behind the plate, I'm just... Oh, two, ball, two strikes, no balls, two balls, no strikes and let everybody know where it is because it's my responsibility. <clears throat> so here's an indicator just to keep me in line so I know what's going on. Even though there's a scoreboard, those scoreboards aren't always right, or the person running the scoreboard is looking at the hot dog guy going, hey man, bring a hot dog over here. So it's my responsibility to be able to do that. And the reason I brought up baseball is the verse I want to talk about, Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Peace as an indicator, ruling in our heart. 
And that thought rule is umpire, is judge, is determine, is, 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 yeah, rule, judge in your heart. It guides us through our daily life. If we're walking down a path and we come to a decision and we say, oh, let's go this way and we lose peace, that's the umpire saying, whoop, strike one, get back over and keep moving. Now, can you argue with an umpire? Sure. People argue with me all the time. Am I going to change my mind? Nope. Am I going to toss them out of the game? Yep. <laughs> if they get too obnoxious. But you can't argue. You're not going to change peace's mind. Now, there are some times when you insist on doing your own way that God will let you do it. And it's usually you end up walking so far off the path, you realize you did something, you messed up way back here, and then what has he got to do? He's got to bring you all the way back around to where he said, now would you just please do what I asked you to do? And we can go forward. Let peace rule in your heart. Like an umpire, like a referee, the call is absolute. Decisions should not be made without peace. Now we've got a bunch of spiritual indicators talking about peace of mind. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatever things are just of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Do you know you don't have to think about every thought that pops in your head? You can get rid of that thought. Is this true? Whoop. Is it a good report? Is it praiseworthy? Is it just? Is it pure? If not, you don't have to think about it. Pray and say, Lord, get this thought out of my brain. I know this isn't true, or I know this isn't a pure thought. I don't want to think about this thing. There's eight little indicators. And then when we do, it says, think on these things and the God of peace will be with you. Think on these things and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 7, Philippians 4 the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The enemy wants us to fail. He'll try to get us to think like a failure, to talk to ourselves like a failure, to convince us, to convince ourselves that we're a failure. He constantly reminds us of everything we may have done in the past, but we can't think on those things. Because it's not true. That's not who we are anymore, is it? No, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Okay? Therefore, our thought life should be conditioned by these challenges. Is this true? Is this a good report? Is this pure? So that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. The words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart, acceptable and are in his sight. That's what we want, right? Now, peace as a weapon. This one was interesting to me. I was reflecting recently on the armor of God, uh, the helmet of salvation, uh, the belt of truth, Ephesians 6, 3, 13 through 18. We won't read all of it for, for the sake of time. But I was looking at it, and I was always taught those are all, except for one, defensive weapons. You've got the shield, you've got the breastplate, you've got the helmet, 
except for the sword, which is an offensive weapon. It's the word of God. It's the only thing that we can fight the enemy with. That's what Jesus taught us in his trials in the desert. It is written. It is written, right? That's our, our weapon. But then it says, verse 15, Ephesians six fifteen. your feet shod or put on with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace, the good news of peace, the preparation or readiness of the gospel of peace are on our feet. And then I saw this weird documentary. Not weird. I saw an interesting documentary about Roman soldiers and how they fought. And I, I guess I just never remembered or no one ever taught me. But they, I don't know if they invented it, but they implemented spikes on the bottom of their shoes like we would wear on the athletics field for traction. And so cleats, basically because they were fighting in sand and terrain to keep traction. And they would fight in these formation four, sometimes six, sometimes eight men deep. They would have all their shields up front. They would make like a tortoise shell out of it. And they would literally just rush into the arm, the front lines. They had these swords. They had these shields, the spears. The guy in the front would take stabs for a few minutes, and then he'd move to the back. And the next guy would do his thing, and then he'd move to the back. So there's constantly rotation, but they needed good traction because they were always moving. So they had spikes on their shoes to hold fast. But also, as they make advances on the enemy, they're trampling over them, right? And they're using those spikes to inflict additional damage. The peace, the gospel of peace, can be an offensive weapon. As I mentioned, if the enemy is throwing the kitchen sink at us, and we're there like a little bird in perfect peace, that does damage. That does damage. It affects us. It affects the kingdom. That's a weapon. That's a powerful weapon. Lord, give me perfect peace. Help me to stay at peace with you that I can continue to have perfect peace. Romans 16, verse 20. Talking about bruising Satan under your feet, it says the God of war, the God of conquest. Is that what it says? No, it says the God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet. So he uses our feet, which have the gospel of peace on them, the God of peace. That's how we win. By staying at perfect peace when he... Our enemy, our adversary is throwing everything against us. Amen? So peace with God. Want that. You don't want to be at war with God. We want the peace of God. We want it as an indicator, making sure that we're true, making sure that we're flying the right height, flying in the right direction, that we're not going off the path one way or the other. Making sure that we obey when he says stop, obey when he says go. And then peace as a weapon, using it, weaponize peace. Say, I'm going to have peace because God's going to bruise Satan under my feet. And how does that happen? When I'm at perfect peace with him. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time to be instructed in your word. We thank you that you are the Prince of Peace, that you are the God of peace. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to work this message in our hearts as we go our separate ways this afternoon. 
Lord, that we would look to you for your perfect peace. Guide us, Lord, with your peace. Judge accordingly, rule and reign in our hearts. Lord, let your peace guide us, Lord, we pray. Lord, to keep us on the right path. Lord, and if we do fall off the right path, Lord, let us be quick to confess, to acknowledge and be right and get back at peace with you. We thank you, Lord. We bless you. We ask your blessing to be upon the remainder of our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're done? Okay. All right. God bless you all. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. All right. Thank you.